Welcome to the Semi-Informed Football Podcast, where we dive deep into the world of European football. Join your hosts, Mark and Marco, as we explore the latest matches, controversies, and stories from the beautiful game across the continent. Whether you're a diehard fan or just getting started, we're here to bring you insightful analysis, lively debates, and a whole lot of passion for the sport we love. Get ready to experience European football like never before. Welcome to Semi-Informed Football Podcast, a podcast where we may not have the right analysis, but we'll defend our opinions to the bone. So on the show today, we're going to talk about a great weekend in the Premier League. We're going to go through a few of the other ties of fixtures in Europe. And also, we're going to end up with some Ballon d'Or discussion. All right. So on the show today, we have Marco, myself, we have Mark, and we have Matteo. Okay, Mark, let's start off things with, I don't know, was this one of the best games ever in the Premier League, Man City and Chelsea? Uh, this was one for the ages. Um, great game. Final score was 4-4. Uh, just end-to-end action. Uh, Chelsea, I think we have to say this was their their moment, their game of the season for sure. Um, they're playing up against, like we always say, the well-oiled machine, Man City. And... They gave it their all. Some people were saying that Chelsea turned a page the previous week when they beat Spurs. But that really wasn't a, a game to be proud of, I think. I mean, Tottenham was down two men on two red cards. So they needed that. Um, and Nicholas Jackson scored two late goals. Really, Chelsea kind of botched that game for me. They pulled off the win. Um, they won 4-1, convincing. Three of those games came in the last uh, third of the match. So to me, it wasn't convincing. This game, you're playing up against the champions of Europe, the Prem champs, and you're at home, and you put up a fight like that. I, th- I thought it was their best game of the season, well-deserved. Okay, yeah, just to add to that, you know, I was looking at the goal scores and the game itself. And I got to say, it was really end-to-end football. 4-4, four, four, as you can tell by the scoreline, was exciting as a neutral to watch. But one interesting thing was there was four goals scored for Man City, yet there were six goals scored by Man City players on the day, past or present. Cole Palmer with the equalizing penalty, 95th minute. People call him cool as ice, to be fair. He scored four goals for Chelsea so far, or four penalties. I mean, it's not easy to do, but I think he's getting a bit too much praise right now. But Raheem Sterling, he was back to his best, absolutely bullying Kyle Walker down on that right-hand side, which isn't easy by any means. Apart from that, though, Thiago Silva proving he can still do it at nearly 40 years of age now. And Nicholas Jackson showing his spurts of brilliance. Um, But Man City, you knew what you were getting. Chelsea, though, I think they're playing up to the... They're playing up or down to their opponent's levels at some times. Against worse teams, we've seen them become unrecognizable with their play look lost in a sense. Yet in this game, and I think ever since the beginning of this stretch of hard games, they've really turned it up, and I think it's keeping Posh in his job. Yeah, it is definitely keeping him his job. I think you were you were spot on talking about Sterling. This was some of the best plays Sterling has played in a long time, for sure. Probably he deserves the call-up to the national team. 
instead of uh, Tra- uh, Rashford. Uh, but Cole Palmer, four PKs. But this kid, he's good. Oh, yeah. I know it's still early, but I think he made the smart decision. He was at City. He knew he wasn't going to get the minutes over Holland or Alvarez, right? And so he he wanted to play. So kudos to him for going to uh, Chelsea where he's going to get minutes. Okay, let's jump on to the next game. Um, Mark, let's move on to Spurs. So yeah, Tottenham Spurs were up against Wolves. Uh, Tottenham was in first place. They scored early. Brendan Johnson scored in the third minute. But Spurs are, they have a lot of injuries, a lot of players out. And one thing they don't have is the depth. And earlier in the podcast, Matteo talked about the fact that they don't have those European games. And we can talk about how those European games are affecting both Brighton and Newcastle. So Tottenham doesn't have that. It gives them kind of an advantage in the league. But when you have this many injuries, it's going to cause problems. And during this game, they lost one of their best playmakers in Madison. And with Romero on suspension from the previous game, they they were light in the back. And as uh, they were playing in the Molinau, home of the Wolves. And sure enough, very late stoppage time. Uh, Pablo Sarabia scored in the 91st minute, and then Mario Lamina scored in the 97th. So, really a, a tough loss, because the Spurs almost had it. They would have survived and given some of those injured players some time to recover, especially with the international break approaching. So that, that's got to be a gut-wrenching loss uh, for them. Okay, on to Newcastle now. Another team where... They were a pretty solid team going into the season, but have recently lost their way of form, especially in the last two games. They lost midweek in the Champions League to Dortmund, uh, 2-0. And now they lost 2-0 to Bournemouth, the mighty, mighty Bournemouth. And as we can imagine, the fans were pleased, especially considering they were outplayed. Stats show it, watching the game tells you it. They were pretty much dominated by this Bournemouth team, which isn't anything to be proud of, especially considering their position. But we have to bear in mind, as Captain Kieran Trippier pointed out, the injuries this Newcastle team has. As the fans were giving him stick, he was yelling at them, asking them, how many injuries have we got? Which is a valid point. But you got to take that statement with a, with a grain of salt because a team like Newcastle, with the funds they have available, the fact that they're using a lack of squad depth as an excuse as to poor performance, yeah. it's got to hurt as a fan. But uh, they got to fix up because they currently sit 7th in the Premier League and 4th in their Champions League group, which is not good by any means. Yeah, I never liked the excuse of, of injuries. All teams have them. Um, you have to deal with it. And again, that's the club's choice. You can spend large on your starters and have no depth. Mm-hmm. Or you can balance the, the squad. Not all teams can afford stack at every position right yeah exactly like i said all, all teams go through it all teams have to go through it there's a number of teams that are injury ridden right now so they got to learn how to deal with it all right good points now let's move on to liverpool all right this was a this was a great game for liverpool they came out uh firing 
I expected more more of a fight from Brentford, but it looks like um, the defense, the Liverpool defense, is finally clicking. The I see the different movement. Trent Alexander Arnold is is adapting more to this hybrid role. And Nunez, okay, Jurgen Klopp talked about his work rate. He had two goals in the first half called offside. The first one, look, by VAR standards, it's offside, but it's one of those ones we've talked about. It just really annoys me. It's like a, a shadow, a sliver of a fingernail of an offside, which was unfortunate because I thought he, he did really well to stay with his man and, you know, check himself. So that was the first goal. The second disallowed goal came from a corner, a cross, and then he actually did a beautiful bicycle into the net. And that was ruled offside. So, but he, he didn't stop. Uh, he kept going. And he made a beautiful pass to Mo Salah, who shows his quality. Uh, and Salah just slipped it home. It, it, you have to watch the replay to see how Salah scores this goal. Because he's going down the, the right flank. And with his left foot, sends it across the net, just in between the space of the keeper and the defender. Like to find that kind of space and put it in the far side of the net, just incredible. And he didn't let up. He scored again. And this is why I think Sal is so important. After that whole substitution early on in the season, he was substituted in about the, uh, I believe, the 68th minute. He came off fuming. And then all those rumors started about him going to the Saudis. This is back in, in August before the transfer window closed. I'm pretty sure there was a discussion. And I'm pretty sure he let it known that if he's going to stay, you know, in those, in those moments, in those difficult moments, is he your star player or not? Because if he is, he should stay on the field. You shouldn't be subbing off your most expensive player, your star player, a player who's playing um, some great football. And so I'm sure those discussions were had. And now you see that Klopp doesn't take him off, right? If you're going to call him your best player, okay, leave him on. And I think, I think Mo is a lot more comfortable now. I think he feels respected once again. And now that he's comfortable and respected, he's showing his quality. And if he is subbed off, which he has been, it's not till late and he knows the game's in hand. There's nothing uh, on the line because they already wrapped up a win. So I think that's what's changed. I think that's what's helped uh, Liverpool offensively. And Darwin, to his credit, uh, I know he, he struggled with some of the goals. A lot, of go a lot of his goals have been called for offside. However, in all competitions, he now has nine assists which is incredible. Actually, cool stat about that. All those assists uh, in the Premier League, that is, have been to Mo Salah. Yeah. And I mentioned this uh, the last podcast, but Diogo Jota scored again. So that's now 40 times. Every time Diogo Jota scores, Liverpool wins. That's now 40 times. That's crazy. That is crazy. And with that mark, uh, Liverpool finds himself in a 
I guess, in a lockstep, in a, in, a, in a tie for second place in the Premier League. Yeah, and so it's going to be very interesting when the January transfer market comes because I think there's they're finally clicking and any defensive or defensive mid-help is going to be, I think, a perfect fit. And Andre Trinidad from Fluminense in Brazil, um, there was all that talk in the in the August uh, transfer window about whether or not he was going to sign with Liverpool. Fluminense was was um, reluctant to let him go because of the way they were progressing in the Copa Libertadores in South America, and they won. They beat Boca Juniors. Um, his team's happy, and I'm pretty sure now he'll cash in on on his tail in January. Okay, so leaving the Prem, I'm going to give a little bit of update of the Serie A. Um, some interesting games. It wasn't a crazy weekend in the Serie A. However, I did notice two things. Um, two players actually scoring with their midsection. So this was pretty, pretty interesting. So the first one I'm going to talk about is Juventus Cagliari. Now, um, Juventus won this game 2-1. Uh, within this game, I think um, Philip Kostic had a really, really great game. Uh, sending a lot of uh, draws into the box. Uh, really, really, uh, you know, helping with the helping with the attack there. So I think, uh, you know, the questions have been about his defensive play and everything, but I think he really did have a great game. First, first goal, he did send one over to Bremer, and Bremer's put in a nice header. But the next goal is the one that I'm actually going to mention. Um, it so kind of trickled its way into the box, and then uh, Daniele Rugani just seemed to walk that in. So uh, but <laughs> that that was an interesting goal. Um, next game, Lazio Roma, a uh, really big kind of, uh, city derby. Um, nothing. It was, it was a nil nil draw. So, you know, a lot, you know, much ado about nothing. It did really didn't happen in that. The next game, uh, and you know, this one didn't expect to be a big uh, tie, but it was Inter, uh, playing Frozenone. Now Inter beat Frozenone at two, two nil. However, if you do want to watch a, a replay, stick to this one because DeMarco, had a phenomenal screamer of a goal in this. Um, running up the left side at full stride, hoofing it in. I think the I think the commentator said about 55 yards, but hoofing it in. And he hit a center screamer right over the goalie, right under the bar. It was really, really an amazing goal. So probably gonna go down as probably one of the the nicer goals of uh of of the year, but that was a really interesting one. Now the last game I'm really gonna talk about now I found that Say what you want about Milan, but AC Milan has had some of the more interesting games in the Serie A campaign. So they played Lecce and nobody expected too much, or maybe you do from Lecce. Lecce's kind of been a little bit of a sandpaper to some teams out there, but uh, they tied Lecce 2-2. Now they jumped out to a 2-0 uh, a, a a lead in, in the first half, and everybody said, you know, they're just going to go about business. But Lecce actually came back. Uh, scoring uh, scoring two goals in the second half, tying it up. Uh, Sansone scoring the first goal, which was a beautiful... Uh, he, he roofed it, which a beautiful goal. And um, near the ending end of the game, actually missing, uh, missing a header, hitting the upright. And, uh, you know, everyone thought that was going to go in. Uh, later in the stoppage time, Olivier Giroud actually losing his cool, uh, arguing a handball. Uh, gets a second yellow and gets thrown out. So, you know, only a few minutes left in the game. But um, 
Roberto Piccoli from uh, from Lecce having sort of shoved off Tia and scoring a goal, but they actually the VAR called it back, seeing that that shove off actually gave him a, 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 a an advantage. Again, another piece right here. I don't. Th- I think that was a, just a good football play. I don't think it was really as uh, as much as a fraction that they said, but unfortunately, they they took the goal back because of that play. And instead of a three two Lecce win, you had a two two Lecce Milan game. Now, uh, what's interesting is that I actually want to just take a look at the table in the Serie A. Uh, again, like a lot of people thought, um, especially after the first few games of the season. You have Inter in first, but right behind them, um, not too far behind is Juventus, then Milan and Napoli. Now, I do think this is really well the, the four teams that are going to be kind of uh, fighting for the top four spots, but it's a little bit tighter. Unfortunately, uh, Inter and Napoli, the dif- distance between first and fourth is about 10 points. So let's see how that kind of uh, changes with the end of the season. Now, um, I'm just going to go into a little bit of an update on the Bundesliga. You know, there's some interesting games on the weekend. Really nothing of note to mention. Leverkusen really just kind of playing out their form. They actually took beat Union Berlin, and Union Berlin's had a tough time with it. They're actually in the last spot in the Bundesliga, but they beat uh, they beat Union Berlin 4-0. Another goal that I was a little bit, sh- a game that I was a little bit shocked with is VfB Stuttgart uh, 2-1 over Dortmund. Now, uh, Udo, like, uh, I, I thought with Gurasi, you know, Mark's favorite player uh, mm-hmm. playing in there, you know what, you know, that was going to slow down a little bit. But um, VfB Stuttgart, great, great game there. So um, Bayern easily putting away Heidenheim. Well, not easily, but uh, they beat Heidenheim 4-2. But again, looking at the, um, at the, at the table there, we have Leverkusen in first, Bayern in second, Stuttgart in, in, in third. And Leipzig in fourth. So this is really unique. Like nobody expected really to kind of play out with this. Everybody expected, you know what, to see a little bit dormant, a little bit higher at, uh, in the table. But, you know, this is really interesting. And let's see how this kind of finishes off the year. So with that said, um, you know, let's kind of, let's kind of follow into, uh, I, want to, I want to talk to him, Mateo a little bit. Because in La Liga, there's a team called Hirona that's actually kind of taking uh, at the top of the table there what's happening there yeah so honestly for any neutral or anyone really who watches La Liga the standings right now look like a, a complete miss to see here on the top of the, the table right now and two points ahead of Real four points ahead of Barcelona six points ahead of the informal Atletico it seems almost alien it gives me Leicester 2016 uh, that kind of energy but mm. there is reason why they're doing so well they've won all the last five games um, and they are a team who scores goals and defends exceptionally well. They've played, their most recent loss was against Real 3-0, but since then, they beat Cadiz away from home, which is not easy, 1-0. Almeria 5-2, Celta Vigo 1-0. Uh, they beat Osasuna 4-2, and they beat Rayo, a team that made uh, Real drop points two weeks ago. They beat them 2-1 away from home. Uh, the players they have, it's a good mix of youth and experience. I think the main uh, credit has to go towards the manager. He is making them all seem like world beaters. They were seeing it across uh, Europe too with teams like Stuttgart overperforming. But are they really posing a serious La Liga title push? I don't think so. But I could seriously see them in the top four as a surprise team of the season. They're playing exceptionally well. If you watch them, the football is attractive. 
not boring park the bus like we see other teams. Um, and they are really, really exciting to watch. A lot of experience on that team. Oh, for sure. With the likes of Daily Blend in there, they know how to win games and how to manage them, especially. Now, um, moving on towards another team in La Liga, my team, Barcelona. They uh, had a game this this weekend against Alaves, and uh, they won 2-1, but they conceded 18 seconds in to the game, which is actually the second fastest goal of the season. The fastest one being 17 seconds in, conceded by who? Barcelona. And uh, this season especially, they've been really, really shocking defensively. It was most apparent in this game with the likes of Jules Koundé celebrating his birthday, dropping absolute disaster class. But I think it's a wake-up call for Xavi because they are fortunate to win this game. They were fortunate to win 2-1 due to a brilliant Lewandowski header and then a 80th-minute penalty. But it's a wake-up call because missing players like Gabi was gone this game. De Jong has been hurt for weeks. Pedri just coming back from injury. Xavi's been trying different formations and tactics with this team, using a three-back, um, essentially a five, with the wing-backs with Balde and Joao Cancelo acting as the wing-backs. But using a five-back against a team like Alaves, it really, really raised eyebrows among all supporters and neutrals watching this game. And uh, it almost shot them, it almost backfired on them because... They were caught out. They were beat pretty well in the first half. They could have conceded three or four goals. But after Xavi realized, okay, we can't be doing this anymore, he swapped Araujo back to his position, his natural one, at center back. Kunde, even though he's not a fan of it, pushed him out to right back. The team had a lot more stability, and the shape was pretty evident. And Lewandowski came back to his best. He scored brilliant, brilliant header. And uh, this is his first goal, I think, around 10 games for Barcelona, snapping I think it was his longest drought since 2010-11, back in his Dortmund days. So hopefully it's a sign of things to come, but this international break for Barcelona couldn't have come any sooner. But uh, this title race, it's going to be interesting, especially considering players like uh, Real Madrid and Atletico are playing so well at the moment. Real, they played Valencia over the weekend. Nice 5-1 nice win. Nice 5-1, yeah, I know. Valencia, they are... Um, Recently, they haven't been a great team, but yeah, you got to give credit where credit is due. Uh, they won five one Real, fair play to them, but no Bellingham as well. Yeah, uh, Bellingham's injured, so he's out for the England lineup as well. Exactly. Um, so this was an interesting game because they were playing without Bellingham, mm-hmm. and this was Rodrigo's best game of the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, he set up um, Vinicius for two goals, and then he scored two goals himself. Uh, it's nice to see some output out of the out of the striker. We hear a lot about him. Uh, he's got a huge release clause because they do see so much potential in him. So it was nice to see how Vinny and Rodrigo would actually perform when Bellingham's not there. Yeah, this is their best game, I think, out of the two of them. Because they're acting as strikers this season. I think it's the best uh, game we've seen from them in their time at Real. So if you're a Los Blancos fan, you should be happy. Blaugrana, not so much. I guess the last point we're going to make about La Liga, just the, the persistent rumors of the, the Super League, right? Florentino Perez from Madrid still doesn't want to back down from the idea. I think it's more the, the finance company behind it as well. I'm pretty sure there may have been some backroom deals or commitments, so they don't want to give that up. 
clearly fans are still outraged over it. If there's no um, relegation of any sort, fans don't want to have any part of it. And now with Juve backed out after their um, fraudulent charges, the only two teams still connected to it are Barcelona and Madrid. You know, if they want to play a midweek game, call it El Clasico and play each other every Wednesday. Okay, so this past weekend, uh, PSG played Rem, uh, Stad Rem, and last season they were a team that caught the interest of most people around Europe uh, because of their manager or because of their play style or a bit of both. But PSG ended up winning this game 3-0 due to a brilliant Kylian Mbappe hat-trick, giving me reminiscence of performance in the World Cup final. Put it an absolute display and by far his best game of the season. It's nice to talk about uh, PSG clicking again, even though we like to downplay their achievements so much. But uh, yeah, this is a much better look for the team, especially considering their misfortune and struggles in Europe, not only recently, but over the past few seasons. Green nothing seems to be the, the score they like to win by recently. I think it is, yeah. It's either uh, it's hit or miss with this team, but uh, this week was definitely a hit. Yeah. You know, my surprises in Liga, I think, have got to be uh, Jonathan David and Alexander Lacazette. Uh, Alexander Lacazette and finished second, I believe, in scoring last year to Mbappe. And Jonathan David, if I'm correct, finished third in scoring. David has been consistent in Liga in scoring goals, potting over 20 past couple of seasons. And like I said, Lacazette had a monster season last year with goals. Both are really underperforming, and their teams are affected for sure. I think Jonathan David only has like two goals and an assist. That's really out of the ordinary for him. Yeah, very out of the ordinary. And not only that, but Lyon finds themselves in last place. Jeez. Yeah, on the brink of relegation. And, you know, they've got some great players. They're sitting on seven points. Yeah. Yeah. And in, in league, uh, the bottom two teams, there's 18 teams. The bottom two teams get relegated. And right now they're, they're four points out of 16. They only have one win on the season. So this is, this is foreign territory, I think, for a club like Lyon, who traditionally, I think, have been quite strong. Yeah, Absolutely. All right, let's close things off by having a discussion on the Ballon d'Or. Lionel Messi won his eighth Ballon d'Or. Um, now we're just going to have a discussion, maybe a debate. Was it warranted? Should it have been someone else like an Erling Holland? Mark, give us your opinion first. All right. I'm, I'm going to say that I am in agreement with this award. So much talk has been about Ronaldo and Messi for the last 15 years. And they've won pretty much everything. The one thing that always separates super legends is the World Cup. Now, people can go on and on and say, oh, but Messi scored uh, six PKs. If it's that easy, why isn't everyone else doing that? So there's more to it than just saying, oh, Ronaldo gets PKs and Messi gets PKs. Why isn't your team's striker getting PKs? Plus, it wasn't just that. Messi was masterclass in the World Cup. Some of that passing was sensational. The way he unraveled a, a promising 
center back in Guardiola. Okay, you could see how much he wanted to win, and that's what I want to watch. I want to see someone who's going for it. This was the time I saw Messi really go for the World Cup all out. Yeah, he's played great in other World Cups. Probably if Di Maria wasn't a hurt, Argentina may have won a World Cup earlier. But this this was him really wanting it. Um, I, I think he had a um a solid group around him. He always has, but I think this this group also uh played for him. They weren't selfish, they played as a team. But it, it's the World Cup. I mean, in a World Cup year, voting on the Ballon d'Or, the World Cup is so important. And it's not like he had a mess of a season in PSG. The year before he did, and he had a lot of injuries, but not this past year. Sure, they didn't advance far in Champions League, but he won the World Cup. And if that isn't the greatest trophy in the world of football, then I don't know what is. All right, you know, I'm going to take a look at this one next. I what what I say with I like I think I agree a little with a lot what you're saying about Messi. What I'm looking for, looking forward to, is I'm looking forward to next year when someone named not named Lionel Messi or someone not named Cristiano Ronaldo are not going to be in the running for this. I'm really, really interested to see what is the next uh, lineup of stars that actually compete for this thing. Is it Mbappe? Is it Holland? Is it Bellingham? Right. I, I think those are the early. The early takes on this, but um, I think this um, award was more of a kind of a love letter to how much he's given to the game. And uh, I know there's a lot of people that do say, I'd say, was he he's the best player of all time? Um, I think arguably that may be true. So I think this is just saying, you know what, Lino, thank you so much for everything. Here you go. And you know what? Let's kind of pass the torch to the, to the, to the, to the next, uh, the group of young players and we'll see what it is again Erling Holland phenomenal uh phenomenal uh play this year again uh what's really going to hurt Erling in the future is that Norway are they really going to be competitors and if Norway's aren't going to be making major competitions that's going to be a challenge uh, that's going to be really holding them back um I know it hurt Mr. Robert Lewandowski in the past, you know, not having that success with Poland. That's one thing, but give, give it to Lino. I'm, I'm not going to fight it. Um, what Wasn't surprised that he won it. I'm not angry that he won it by all means, but let's, let's kind of go move on to the next thing. Mateo, what are you saying? Hold on a second. Yeah. You know, yeah. the, not every year is a World Cup year or a Euro year. True. So I don't know if Haaland really needs... Norway to do that well. I think if they do well and he's a part of it, then that shows that he's a better but he's in a tough position as a as a striker, right? Like I don't I don't think he's he's a different type of of goal scorer. And I think Messi throughout his career even in comparison to Ronaldo. I mean, Messi's shown a lot more of an overall player. A lot more skill, a lot more dribbling, a lot more crossing. There's more to his game. And Ronaldo's been incredible. But it's just, I think Messi brings a lot more. 
to the team. Okay, and, that's a that's a that's a debate for another podcast. The whole me- it is a whole pal- uh, debate. I, I'm going to give you some stats too about Holland. Fifty-two goals, incredible, unreal. Um, was it the ninety-two that Messi scored one year? No. Did he win the treble? Sure, he won the treble. But where was Holland in the semis and the finals? Champions League. Hey, he he didn't score goals in those games. And, you know, he needed other players to step up and, and win the games, right? Sorry, Mateo, I'm taking your thunder away. Go ahead. <laughs> no, it's fine. You actually summed up a lot of the points uh, really well. Yeah, I think, okay, most people who wanted Holland to win this award either were Ronaldo fans or genuinely saw the argument behind, okay, listen, Erling Holland, he won the treble. He got a stupid amount of goals. He broke the Premier League goal-scoring record in his first season. What more can he do? And I get that. He had a sensational year. Had it not been for Messi in this World Cup, he would have absolutely won without a doubt. No mm-hmm. questions asked. But the fact that Messi, I wouldn't say dragged, but he led his team through the entire World Cup campaign after losing the first game to Saudi Arabia, having the confidence to step up and say, listen, we won't leave you stranded to the fans. Um... They will progress. They will do what they need to do. And to actually win the whole thing. Him at 36 years of age, proving how he can be a goal scorer, a provider, everything you need. Uh, a decoy, in a sense. All the attention's on him. Other players could have shown, like Enzo Fernandez, his first appearance there. Um, Julian Alvarez really showing his class to the world. Rodrigo De Paul proving why he's one of the hardest working midfielders in Europe. The entire team revolved around him. And without him, there is no World Cup for Argentina. So I think his importance to this team, again, on the highest stage, means more than Holland's stats with a honest stacked team. Stacked team. Yeah. yeah. Um, in Man City. Yes, they won the treble. And if you're going to argue it based on trophies, okay, then why can't Alvarez win? Because not how it works. Alvarez won the treble and the World Cup. But it's not only based on trophy cabinet. It's based on importance to the team. It's based on just the eye test, watching the game and seeing how good a player is. And yes, I think there was some sense of a sentiment and nostalgia in giving him this award, knowing it's his last one. But even at Inter-Miami, dragging these guys with their first title from worst in the yeah. league to the first title in around six weeks after joining the club, albeit him, uh, Busquets, and Jordi Alba, but still, three players don't make a team. And any team in Europe would accept him right now gladly and he'd be a starter i think i'm not too crazy in saying that yeah Mateo, so, Mateo makes the best point there if you take messi out of the argentina team as good as all the other players played do they win do they win the world cup without him no they don't if you took holland out does manchester city still win and i think they have a very good chance of winning without holland I'd agree, yeah. And in fact, they won the semis and the finals essentially without his goals. It's true, yeah. I think in the final, he had a 0.00 XG, which, I mean, the striker who stole most of the headlines was Lukaku in his disaster class. <laughs> but you're right. In the in the latter end of the uh, of the Champions League, we didn't see much at Rolling Holland. We saw him get five goals in the round of 16. That's a great feat. But he didn't even score in the finals of the FA Cup. 
I don't know whether he's not a big game player or maybe the team system just didn't utilize him enough or maybe he was acting as a decoy that game. I'm not sure. But I think the level of importance Messi had over the past calendar year, including PSG and everything else, not only the World Cup, everything, yeah. I think it surpassed Erling Haaland's importance to the team. Therefore, Messi gets the World uh, gets the Ballon d'Or. And that's what the award should be for. Yeah, I agree. All right, we're going to call it quits for today. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Please remember to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss the next episode. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, uh, give us a review on that app. Follow us on X, Twitter at, at semifooty. Next week, we'll be back and we'll be talking about the international fixtures in the international break. So remember, tune in next episode where we'll keep you semi-informed. Thank you.